In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. These words of the Old Testament, quoted by St. Paul in today's epistle, for most of us only give rise in the mind to other words which we find so often in the Old Testament. A prayer of great indignation. How long, O Lord? Arise, Lord, and judge thy cause. The latest outrage which has occupied our attention this past week is that on the anniversary of that dread court decision, Roe versus Wade, the state of New York passed the most horrendous pro-abortion law in history. It was signed gleefully by their Catholic governor, who then ordered a celebration to go on in New York City for the skyline to be lit up in pink. We may now say without exaggeration that in the state of New York, unborn, partially born, newborn human beings have less rights than pets. This is, I think, the immediate result of the political situation in Washington, where the right to life has never been a priority. Under the last administration, the excuse was that nothing could be done because the president was so viciously pro-abortion. Now we have a president who declares himself pro-life and the issue is still sidelined. Now under the excuse that the president has it covered, he will nominate pro-life judges and that, take care, that takes care of it. The result of this politique is that government money continues to pour into the abortion industry and radical pro-abortion laws, such as the one just passed in New York, are being passed all over on the state level in anticipation of the reversal of Roe versus Wade. I know well that there are other states who are passing laws in the opposite direction. But if that reversal ever does come, we shall find that in the majority of states it won't make any difference. And political candidates for national office will simply be relieved that they don't have to talk about it anymore. Note that this is the same policy that was pursued with regard to true marriage. It continued as a peripheral political issue until the landmark 2015 Supreme Court decision that invented the constitutional right to unnatural unions. 
This decision was greeted with elation on the left and to a large degree with only feigned indignation on the right, serving as a cloak for their relief. Terrible decision. What a pity. Now we'll have to abandon that issue too. I do not speak about this simply for the purpose of beating up on politicians. That is very far from my mind. That indeed would be an easy way out for all of us. What about the church hierarchy then? The law that just passed in New York State passed largely because of Catholic politicians. Will there be any disciplinary measures taken out against them? Remains to be seen. Several bishops in the United States have said that that absolutely must occur. The Cardinal Archbishop of New York this week said that he does not think excommunication of such politicians is an appropriate response. This is not the place to debate that statement. I leave it to your free discussion. Everyone is entitled to my opinion. However, we may say that regardless of whether canonical measures should be or will be carried out against the governor of New York or other political leaders who voted for this measure, the Cardinal Archbishop is, I think, right in that it is far too late for that. It is true, as he says, that excommunication is not to be wielded as a weapon. In fact, those outside the faith may legitimately ask the question, and they often do ask me, why does the church even have excommunication for carrying out an abortion? After all, if Catholics believe that taking the life of an unborn child is murder, why don't we simply have excommunication for all murders? The reason is that, at least for the time being, we can say that in the United States and in all civilized countries, the murder of adults or the murder of human beings that are at least several years outside of the womb is a crime punished by civil law. The reason then that abortion is singled out for excommunication is because it is not so. It is very easy to obtain one and in most parts of the civilized world, or so-called, this procedure may be had without any criminal penalties attached. Therefore the church maintains this penalty of excommunication in order to show 
that the church does not approve of this, that it does consider it murder, just like of an adult, and that therefore those who do so place themselves outside of communion with the Holy Catholic Church. The case is a little bit different with a politician who votes for a pro-abortion measure. This does not carry with it any automatic excommunication. Such an excommunication would have to be declared, and only as the end result, Cardinal Burke could describe the procedure for you far better than I, but only as the result of a long process, a series of canonical warnings, leading finally, if there is absolutely no penitence on the part of the perpetrator, to the supreme penalty of excommunication. It is indeed too late for that. Such a canonical process should have, in the case of these legislators, begun at least months ago. And if we look at the big picture, this canonical process should have begun at least two generations ago. If the hierarchy had taken a firm stand in that manner at the end of the 1960s, things might indeed have turned out differently. Right now, the excommunication of the governor of New York is not likely to achieve much good any more than the excommunication of Queen Elizabeth by Pius V brought England back to the Catholic faith. Nevertheless, if we understand that this penalty, like all penalties in the Church, is medicinal, we must look at today's gospel, today's epistle rather, and ask ourselves, is this not appropriate medicine in this case, that these people's souls might eventually be saved? None of us can decide that issue. Though it does bring up the question of correction. Right now we have been talking about what is known as paternal correction, fatherly correction. And I think most of us feel that some degree of fatherly correction is in order in this and in many similar cases. There is also filial correction, the correction of a child toward its parent, which is in some cases possible. And indeed, you know very well, I have told you, you have every right and even a duty to hold your hierarchy accountable. Finally, though, there is fraternal correction. Correction which we offer to our fellow children of God. Is this ever appropriate? By all means, though we should not take delight in it. St. Francis, Francis of Assisi, excuse me, our patron's patron, says that we should take as much delight in fraternal correction as we do in cleaning out a privy. 
It exists nevertheless. St. Bernard tells us, just as we have faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is charity, so we have words, good example, and prayer, but the greatest of these is prayer. Yes, we must first of all pray, as we do today for the cause of life, for the protection of the most frail among us, young and old. Then we have good example. And for this, I can only tip my hat to all of you, for certainly it could never be said that you fail to show good example. The beautiful marriages here, the many children, we cannot think of a better example than that for the cause of life. What about words then? I give just one example. This past week, on the day that this horrid law passed in the state of New York, one simple shopkeeper in the city, owner of a bookstore, did not show up that day. Rather, his doors were closed, and anyone coming to the door would find this sign attached to the glass. Closed today. Today is a day of mourning in New York State. We will not collect sales tax today for a tyrannical government that murders babies. We will resume regular business tomorrow, collecting sales tax under duress. End abortion now. We must pause for a moment to consider just how much courage this man has. More courage than politicians, more courage than most of the church hierarchy? I don't know. More courage than me, that's for sure. I'm not risking much by telling you from the pulpit that New York's abortion law is demonically evil. That man, he risks a smashed storefront, loss of customers, maybe a boycott, maybe even threats against his family. Yes, after prayer and good example, there are sometimes appropriate words. We must be careful against something an old friend of mine used to call the heresy of good manners. If we have built a foundation of charity and friendship with others, we can sometimes use that as a platform to speak the truth to them. We cannot always refrain from doing so under the pretense of mere politeness. Think even of our friends, acquaintances, those we know even here within the pews. Should we always refrain, refrain out of politeness from showing our neighbor things which we clearly perceive to be wrong in their lives? 
Yes, we must first remove the plank from our own eye before commenting on the speck we find in another. But sometimes we must ask ourselves, is it out of charity that I keep silent? Or just out of love of human respect? If we see that another family's children are being ruined by video games, by constant exposure to devices that expose them to the internet and that whole welter of impurity, sometimes we may take the step just to say, you're not alone. Many of us struggle with that with our children. But I tell you, I have taken the firm stand not to let my children have such devices. And this has reaped enormous fruit in their lives. Because after all, this issue of life does not come down to a Supreme Court case in 1973 or in 2015 or any other time. It comes down to the virtue of chastity, which in any state of life is intimately linked with the virtue of generosity and has been replaced in our times, as it has in others, with that twisted concept of human freedom first expressed by Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? We must engage the culture in which we find ourselves and not be afraid to speak the truth. There will be no political solution to our ills. Laws only come last. They come to enshrine what is already in the hearts of the people. It is hearts, then, that must change. It is only after we have done away with the culture of impurity that we will be able to embrace the culture of life. We must turn, then, to that sweetheart of Jesus and say to him in the words of today's gospel, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Amen.